Good morning. Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus. Again this day. Thank you for all the things that have been shared so far. Perhaps we could just stand together and have a moment of prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we we come in Jesus' name this morning again into your presence, Lord. Thankful today for the opportunity that is open to us. Thankful, Father, that we have freedom to gather, freedom to express our faith in you, to express it in life and in practice. Thank you. Thank you for the things that we've heard already this morning. Father, bless and continue to bless this service, our assembly here. You've said we're Two or three are gathered in your name. You will be in the midst. And today we gather in Jesus' name. And thank you for being present with us. Minister to us, Father, as we as we considered even in the opening the question of whether we actually understand, whether we can comprehend, and we confess, Father, that our Feeble minds continually struggle to understand eternal truths, to comprehend them, to really understand them as you, uh, from eternity's perspective. We see so little. We live in the present. And we have such, uh, such small perception, Lord. We acknowledge and confess that. And today we again ask, for your Holy Spirit to open that perception, to give us understanding, to help us to see as you would desire that we would see, Lord. So bless again this hour, this time together, as you look upon us and understand each of us, pray that the Spirit of God would minister to our hearts according to our needs, Lord. And Father, we also pray for those who perhaps had a desire to be present with us today and are not able. Bless them in their places of whatever it is that has hindered. And Lord, we pray for those gathered across this land and across the world where People are gathered in Jesus' name. We ask that you would be present with them and bless them. Pour out your spirit upon them. We ask that where the word of God is preached, whether it is preached in truth or whether it is preached in pretense, that it would accomplish that which it is sent for. And Lord, that you would continue to prepare the bride for your son. And for that great day when he will gather his bride home to himself. Continue to prepare us, Lord, to be a part of that great throng. 
So again, Father, we do commit this time to you. Bless us, we pray, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Our main text today is going to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 40. Uh, We'll uh, get there before too long, but uh, in in sharing or in introducing this subject today, um, I've titled the message, The Present in Perspective of the Eternal. We live in the present. You know, we've we've already seen the, the illustration. You know, if we had a a whiteboard going the entire distance around this room, um, and we sometimes say our, our life is like a little dot, and I just draw a little little line on that on that eternal line. <laughs> um, to show the uh, the vastness of eternity and the smallness of of our life, and much less even the present. You know, we we as human beings, we very much live in the present. We process life very much in the present. Um, it's just the way we are. And some of us probably, uh, some people, their present there is probably a little bit bigger than others. But even at best, uh, as human beings, we, we process life in the present and what's happening right now and how it's affecting us and how we're feeling and and all those kind of things. Uh, there's several scriptures that uh, that uh, relate to that. Uh, there's a scripture in Hebrews 12, verse 11, says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Uh, that's a verse we can understand. When we were children, us adults, when we were children and our parents took us to the woodshed and kind of warmed our bottoms with a stick, it was not a pleasant uh, moment at that point. Um, but I think if we look back over life and we realize the things that we learned in that woodshed, uh, kind of um, using a woodshed as an illustration, the woodsheds are long gone for many of us, but... <laughs> but uh, you know, in the present, it was anything but joyous, but after you look back and you realize the things you learned and the good that it worked in your life, uh, then it made more sense. And that's a little bit what we're talking about, uh, the present in perspective of eternity or of the eternal. No chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. And that is true even in, uh, well, let me just read on there a little bit, but grievous. That is even true in God dealing with us. I think we've all been there. I, if you're a child of God, in fact, that scripture says if the, 
if the Lord hasn't chastened you, then you maybe you better actually ask the question whether you're actually walking with God. If you've never experienced chastening, uh, the scripture would actually bear out the, a question as to whether you are actually walking with God. Uh, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. Those difficult times, those hard knocks that the Lord puts us through as individuals, uh, those things that just at times don't make sense and we can't quite figure out sometimes which end is up in our experience. It's, it's, uh, it might be chastening, might be the Lord wanting to teach us something. And he says, uh, you know, and in that present moment, it can look uh, dark, it can look overwhelming, it can look uncertain, it can look a lot of things. Uh, but then the scripture goes on and encourages us, nevertheless, afterward, afterward. So in the present, it uh, seems grievous. And we might ask the question, why is this happening? What did? What is going on? And it seems grievous in this moment. But then afterward... After it's past, after we get a bigger perspective, uh, after it uh, accomplishes, after God accomplishes what He's wanting to do, then it yields peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. And uh, it qualifies it actually. You know, you can actually go through uh, uh, chastening and not be exercised by it not respond in a way that God can actually work what he's trying to work. Uh, we can actually do that as human beings. We can uh, That chastening can come upon us and we can respond in such a way that when it's all over, we haven't gained anything. And that's unfortunate, uh, but it can happen. Anyway, the present in perspective of the eternal... I'm kind of starting to make a sermon out of this verse, and I wasn't really planning to do that. Um, that's one of the verses that talks about the present versus uh, uh, the eternal. Romans 8.18 does the same thing. It says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Again, a verse that identifies suffering, identifies the the present, the moment, the you know uh, the now, and identifies it or yeah as something that is less than desirable for the for the uh, for the moment, the suffering for the moment, the suffering for the present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. It's, it's uh, holding or viewing the present in perspective of the eternal. That's what uh, this, uh, Paul is doing there in Romans. He's holding the present, the suffering, and he's viewing it in, in uh, the perspective of the eternal. And he, doesn't, he considers it, Uh, Not a worthy comparison. When he looks at the suffering of the present, looks at the reward of the uh, of the eternal, and does not consider it even a comparable. The scale would just go like this, you know. 
the reward of the on the eternal side just would totally, totally outweigh is the way he's giving it. So the present in perspective of the eternal. <coughs> you know, present realities can easily overshadow the eternal perspective in our lives. Uh, many times uh, life does in present realities uh, or life does uh, meet out present realities that are not real desirable, not real comfortable, not real pleasant. Uh, that is a fact. And uh, in some parts of the world it is more so. At currently, at least, uh, you know, in various ways. We, we know there's uh, places where people have uh, fled their homes, fled their jobs, left behind all their possessions, uh, and they live moment by moment, some of them hungry, some of them thirsty, some of them, and it is not pleasant at all. Um, that's life for some. We're not in that situation at the moment. And yet in our own world, we also have those things that come our way. And they are not always pleasant. Not always what we would order. Present realities can easily overshadow the eternal perspective. We have an example of that in Psalm 73. Maybe I'll ask you to turn there, uh, Psalm 73. It's probably familiar to some of you. It's one that I think about quite a bit and refer to at different times. Because uh, it's an example of where uh, present realities almost overshadow or did overshadow uh, the eternal perspective. The psalm writer here says, he starts off by saying in Psalm 73, verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But, verse 2, as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. Why? For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not uh, in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither. And waters of a full cup are wrung out unto them. And they say, How doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. And then he says, he's, uh, he's saying, he's giving his own perspective at the moment. He says, Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the children of thy generation. And when I thought upon this, it was too painful for me. <clears throat> and I'm going to uh, just uh, stop there for a moment. But here's a very, very uh, prime example of uh, a situation where the present was overshadowing the eternal. 
as he was viewing life and was viewing how he had, you know, chastened his own heart and disciplined his life and to walk with God and to be faithful to God. And he looked around him and the wicked and the, un- the, the, the ungodly were just living life and having fun. And, and, uh, uh, and there didn't seem to be any, res- uh, any um, reaping for it. Uh, it just seemed like uh, everything went well. And he began to scratch his head and wonder, is this all, all my chastening and all my disciplining of myself? And, and uh, is this all vain? Is it all for nothing? And then verse 17 says, Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. He put the present in perspective of the eternal. And suddenly it changed the picture. Suddenly it looked very different. And that's, that's reality. And it's reality in our world uh, that we live in. Uh, there will probably be, and I'm not preaching on this, uh, but there will probably be more, much, much, much of that in the future years. Where it will seem like the wicked are just uh, those that uh, uh, deny God and deny the truth about God and, and, and all those things. They will prosper in the way. They will thrive. They will, uh, they will, it will appear as though there are no bands in their death. It will appear as though uh, life is just a grand party. And we will be tempted to think. That we are chastening ourselves in vain. But if, if we, if we only evaluate in the present. But if we keep the eternal perspective, we will understand. And that's, uh, that's the heart of the message today. But not particularly on that point. On, you know, on, on the present world. Going now to Isaiah again, Isaiah chapter 40. I'd like to just kind of go through this chapter and pull out several points where uh, the present reality, uh, we do well to uh, keep the present in perspective of the eternal. Isaiah 40, verse 1, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I'd like to just talk about sin a bit. Uh, You know, sin is an ever-present problem, whether it's in those around us or whether it's in our own lives. Uh, It's there. It's a reality that we have to face. Uh, it can be uh, something that we wrestle with. Sin is not something we, uh, you know, thinking from our perspective of us as Christians, sin is not something we justify or make excuse for. But it is something we will need to reckon with to our dying day. The fact that we need to, that we uh, have to reckon with it, we have to deal with it, we have to uh, uh, 
It's not something we can just find eradication from. The fact that that is true does not give any justification or excuse for sinning. Not at all. Hebrews 12 verse 1 says it this way, Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. That's a reality in the life of even a Christian, that sin can easily beset us. We can easily uh, find ourselves having missed the mark in life's journey, in, uh, in the walk. 1 John Chapter 1, verse 7 to 10. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar. You know, the, uh, and today I'd like to give this, uh, this point a little bit from the perspective of bringing hope to someone who is actually wrestling with something in their life. Maybe you're seeing something in your life and you, you don't like it. You, you feel like it, this is not the way a Christian should be uh, uh, living. This is not a reality that should be in my life as a Christian. And you might wrestle with that. And there might be those moments when the present is, is uh, all you see. It's all you can see at the moment. is a struggle, a battle, a stronghold. Something in your flesh that you seem to have wrestled with and wrestled with and wrestled with. And it just doesn't seem to go away. That, that sin can be that way. And it's a reality that we sometimes have to face. I'd like to uh, uh, turn your attention to Romans chapter 8 for a few moments. Romans 8. We keep trying to keep our spot there in Isaiah because we keep coming back to, we'll come back to it. Okay, Romans 8. Romans 8 verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 to 8. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. <clears throat> For what the law and I love this scripture, but I'd like to try to explain some of it a little bit as we go, maybe. So let's look at verse 2 just briefly. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We're talking, we're seeing two different laws there. Uh, and what is a law? I, li- I like to compare these, this scripture and this particular law that is speaking of there. It's uh, the law of the spirit of life and the law of sin and death. The law, uh, what happens if I let go of this thing? Is it going to go up? Why didn't it go up? 
You know, there's a law in place. It's called the law of gravity. It's simply, it, anything you let go, unless it's a helium balloon, is going to drop for the most part. It's a law. It's, it's, it's just simply everything, uh, gravity pulls everything to the earth. That, I like to use that to illustrate this law of sin and death. It is the natural state of humanity. It is the law that is in place. Men sin. Look at it. Look at the nations. Look at the peoples. Look at your own life. The tendencies. And what, where we were without Christ. You just, you just, it's just where it pulls you to. It's the law of sin and death. Now, the blessing of it is, for what the law, for what the law, now that is speaking about the Old Testament law, verse 3, what the law, what the Mosaic law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh. Uh, the, the Old Mosaic law, it told people clearly what sin is, what uh, is right conduct and what is wrong conduct, what is appropriate behavior and what is inappropriate behavior, what is loving your neighbor and what is not loving your neighbor. It defined it clearly. But there was one problem. And the problem was not that the law didn't define it. The problem was in human beings, in our flesh. There was a missing link. We were controlled by this. And even though we knew what was the better way to go, we still many times uh, followed the law of sin and death. We lived in sin. So what the law could not do, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. He dealt with this problem that uh, of sin in our flesh, that the righteousness of us, righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And we'll talk a little bit more about that then. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. We're seeing these two different ways in which to walk. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Again, the two different ways. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. I'll just read the next verse yet. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of, none of his. All right, going back to uh, the earlier part of the chapter again, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So we have these two different, uh, we had these two different laws, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus and the law of sin and death. We have walking after the flesh or walking after the Spirit. Um, those two are just highlighted again and again. So we have the law of, gra- uh, uh, of gravity. And we have this illustration. Maybe we can do another one below. So we have the law of gravity, which is the law of sin and death, likening it to the law of sin and death. 
It's just, this is where mankind lives. But then Jesus came along, and uh, by his death and resurrection and uh, his work at Calvary and sending forth the Holy Spirit, he brought a new law into effect. It's called the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And uh, I like to compare that to the law of aerodynamics. It overpowers the law of sin and death. And uh, now, instead of being bound to have our existence here in the law of sin and death in the flesh, we now have the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, and we can have our existence up here. Um, we can live there. And uh, uh, as this scripture says, that uh, if we... There's no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Uh, that's the key right there. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Um, <coughs> so, the uh, when we think about sin, and... Uh, We think about sin, we think about the different uh, ways to live. Uh, this scripture calls us to, to, uh, to walk in the Spirit, to, to walk in this, uh, in this, uh, uh, reality here. And, uh, and it doesn't again it doesn't mean that uh that this is non-existent we we understand that i think i trust we do we know that this is not this is still a reality that we we have to deal with and uh there's this tug perhaps you would say and there's these moments in life where we realize that uh we were we uh didn't respond like we should have we didn't uh uh we didn't walk in the spirit we didn't respond in a spirit like way and uh, it's a reality. Uh, but, again, uh, the present versus the uh, uh, eternal. You know, in, in the present, in the moment, as we wrestle in our uh, hearts and in our flesh, and we wrestle with uh, desires and, and, and sin and all those kind of things, uh, in the present, it can seem it can seem very overwhelming. It can seem... Uh, like there's no hope. It can seem like uh, we're losing out. Uh, but uh, I'd like us to, as we think about those things and think about sin, to think about it not, uh, or not to get stuck and to get swallowed up in the present, but to rather uh, consider it from the eternal. <clears throat> so that's my, uh, that's my, uh, uh, burden for us in, in that particular point. Um, I'm 
my uh, device decided to go to sleep on me while I was talking. Okay, so, you know, sometimes sin can seem insurmountable, um, but Romans gives us the, the law of the spirit of life. It is a law that has overpowered the law of sin and death. While there is a ever potential to sin, while the ever, the ever pot- present potential to sin is never far away, The solution is ever with us. We have the Spirit of Christ in us. And if we are His, He has given us His Spirit. And as we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And you know, that is true. As we walk in the Spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Uh, There is... uh, That doesn't mean as a Christian we will never sin. It means that at that moment we failed... To follow the Spirit. We failed to walk in the Spirit. The flesh and its desire came to the top. Got the upper hand. Uh, Alright, let's go on in Isaiah there. And uh, look at the next several verses. <clears throat> in uh, Isaiah chapter 40 verse 3. Through verse Three to five, the voice of uh, the continuing here now, verse three, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made plain straight and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. You know, as we think about the present in perspective of the eternal. Now, this is, uh, this, these verses are familiar. These are verses that, uh, talk, uh, John the Baptist quoted these verses. John the Baptist, in a sense, was a fulfillment of some of these verses to a point. Uh, it was his message. Um, valleys exalted, hills made low, crooked, uh, straight, rough, plained. Uh, you know, we live in a world uh, of inequities and, and what uh, and, and simply meaning that uh, life isn't fair. That's reality. Uh, life isn't fair. There are many inequities in life. Uh, there are many high places and low places. There's, you know, the rich take advantage of the poor. The strong take advantage of the weak. Human experience is fraught with inequities, and I think we realize that and and uh, understand that. In Luke, we have John the Baptist speaking in Luke chapter three, as he uh, actually fulfills or yeah he addresses this situation. Luke chapter three verse. Uh, 3 to 14, and verse, perhaps just verse 2 for the context. 
talks about Aeneas and Caiaphas being the high priests. The word of God came to unto John, the son of Zacharias, in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan, preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. As it is written in the book of Isaiah, in the in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, "The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places, rough ways shall be smooth, made smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of the Lord of God." And that's the scripture that we just read in Isaiah. This then said he to the multitude that came forth. To be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits worthy of repentance, and begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our fathers. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now is the axe laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And in verse 10, And the people ask him, saying, What shall we do then? He answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. He that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also the publicans to be baptized and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages." Now there, uh, those scriptures, uh, we recognize that John the Baptist is actually uh, dealing with areas of inequity in his day. Uh, if you had uh, two coats and another man had no coat and he needed a coat, you were to give him your extra coat. That was dealing with an inequity of the day. Uh, and as he continued to address the different... Uh, Questions that came to him. You know, in Christ's kingdom, in the church of Jesus Christ, those inequities should be leveled out by the care that we have one for another. There should be a, uh, in other words, there shouldn't be someone among us who is extremely wealthy and someone among us who is barely getting uh, enough of food on the table there for their family. Uh, those things shouldn't exist in the kingdom. In the world, those inequities will be a reality. And uh, life will be that way. Uh, and sometimes those inequities may seem big. But again, whether, you know, whatever the situation, let's look at the present in perspective of the eternal. You know, as life unfolds and, and uh, you may feel like you were taken across by someone, or you may feel uh, whatever uh, in, in, in life's uh, realities. Remember that in the eternal perspective, it's, it's really not that big. It's really not that, uh, for the moment, perhaps it seems huge, but in the perspective of eternity... All right, the next verses. Uh, back to Isaiah again. Picking up again in verse uh, 6. The voice said, Cry. And he said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof as the flower of the field. 
The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of God shall stand forever. You know, as we think about the present in perspective of the eternal, it's good to think about how frail life is. Um, life is very frail. Uh, it's interesting. I don't know if I was aware how much the scripture actually does refer to uh, all flesh being as grass. It, it says it a number of times. Uh, and the goodliness thereof as a flower in the field. Uh, basically saying at best, a man is like a flower in the field. It's blooming one day and the next day it withers and dies. And that's, that's, that's at the best, the goodliness thereof. Psalm 103, verse 15 and 16. As for man, his days are as grass. As a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. And isn't that the truth? You know, I, I recently, uh, not too long ago, I, I was amazed, I, I considered a little bit and was amazed how quickly a person is forgotten after they pass away. You know, think about it. How many, how far back, even to your grandparents who are gone, how much do you think about them? How much, uh, how much do you remember about them? How much, it's, it's a short time and the, and the people who have passed on are soon forgotten. That's life. It's it's like a flower. It's here for a bit, and then it's gone. James says it this way, but in James one verse ten and eleven. But the rich, in that he is made low, because as the flower of the field, as a flower of the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace and fashion of it perishes. So also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. And Peter says the same, says it similar. He's quoting, I guess, from the Old Testament. For all flesh is as grass, all the glory of man as a flower of grass. Again, the glory of man, all the glory of man. What you can get at the best of a man is as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. You know, it's a reminder to us in the present, in, in the present. You know, there are, there is a, uh, there is a danger. James says it this way in chapter 4, verse 14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanishes away. You know, it's also good from the perspective of, uh, perhaps feeling like we're really getting something done. Perhaps feeling like we're really someone great. Perhaps feeling like we really got things going for us. Maybe we need to consider the present in perspective of the eternal. Maybe our accomplishments, maybe our successes, maybe our uh, boastings are not as great as we might think. Um, if we are tempted to uh, become confident in, in, uh, and trust in our own abilities and successes. Perhaps we need to consider the present in perspective of the eternal. At best, our life is just a little vapor. Gone. little flower of the grass shows up for a little time and then disappears. 
And then, of course, there is also the perspective, again, where this scripture can speak to us and we can see the prosperity of the wicked. We can see the uh, the godless societies and, and the things that just seem to, uh, you know, move on in God, ungodliness. And uh, you almost wonder or are tempted to wonder if they if there's any restraint at all. That's when we need to consider the present in light of the, in the perspective of the eternal. <clears throat> so, the frailty of the present. Life is frail at best, whether it's us or whether it's the ungodly that are prospering in the way. And then Isaiah takes us to consider, uh, as we've considered the frailty of man and the frailty of life. In verse 9 of Isaiah 40, he goes on and says, O, o Zion, that bringeth, bringeth good tidings, get thee up into the high mountains. O Jerusalem, that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. And that's what I would like to do with the, the rest of uh, the message today is to behold your God. You know, as we think about the, the present, uh, if we're going to consider the present in the perspective of the eternal, we have to behold our God. Behold your God, a call to behold our God. In verse 10, Behold, the Lord will come with strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, his work is before him. That uh, verse there, the beginning of verse 10, Behold, the Lord will come with strong hand. In my center column, it says, has another uh, wording for it. It says, and it would read like this, Behold, the Lord will will come against the strong. Behold, the Lord will come against the strong. You know, he did come against the strong. Uh, in Hebrews 2, verse 14, uh, the latter part of the verse is what we're looking for, but I'll read the context. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, speaking of Jesus that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil. Uh, verse First uh, John 3, verse 8, again, we're looking for the latter part of the verse, but we'll read the context. He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know, when Jesus came, uh, behold, the Lord God will come against the strong. He came against the strongest one there was to oppose him, and that was the devil. Uh, he came against him. Uh, through death, he destroyed him that had the power of death, the devil. Uh, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know, any, uh, well, 
he came against the strongest of the strong, the prince of darkness, and overcame him. Uh, you know, we can look around and we can see, uh, we can see all the uh, sin, uh, we can see all the confusion in the world, we can see all the perversions, we can see all the inequities that are happening, we can see the many, many things that are just, just uh, a result of selfish, deprived human beings. Um, just uh, taking advantage of each other and, and killing to do it and, and knocking people down in order to lift themselves up. And, and uh, you know, it, it, the world is full of it. We can look at all of that and we can think, okay, you know, Jesus, he's coming against the strong. So who's the strongest in the world? Well, is it, is it, is it, is it Trump or is it, you know, who, who should he come against? No, he went, he went to the, he went to the, to the uh, forces uh, and the power behind it all, behind all that wickedness, all that inequity, all that selfishness, all that devilish living, everything. He went behind it all to the prince of it, the devil himself, and he he met him on his turf, and uh, and as the scripture says, he he uh, destroyed the works of the devil. <clears throat> yes, we still see him. We still see him not put under his feet, as it says in one scripture. But we, we who have uh, a personal faith in Christ, know that uh, that Jesus at Calvary wrought, uh, did in fact do that. The devil is only going to be operating until his days are full. Uh, we know that his power is taken away, and that we are no longer subject to live in it. So behold your God as we consider uh, and think about life and uh, and uh, the present. Consider it in the perspective of the eternal. You know, the, the writer goes on in Isaiah here, uh, and I'm, I'm going to skip over verse 11. I'd like to come to that a little later. I'd like to stay on the context a bit of what we have here. Uh, in verse 12, he begins to kind of set up a, an argument. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and meted out the heavens with a span and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure and weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in balances? He's kind of asking us that question. Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord or being his counselor hath taught him? With whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? It just, uh, in other words, uh, he's getting us to think through uh, who God is and his greatness. And then verse 15, behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing. Verse 17, all nations before him are as nothing. They are counted to him less than nothing and vanity. So, everything that we can see, everything that is present in this world, in the nations and in, in, the, in the human race and, and, and all that they have accomplished and all the uh, uh, strides of success that they have made 
and everything that we can, uh, we could travel the globe and observe it all. You put that all together and then you compare it with God and it's still less than a drop in the bucket. It's, it's, it's insignificant. It's basically what he's saying when you compare it to God and, uh, who God is. It's, it's, uh, as nothing before him. Um, He raises the question in verse 18, to whom then will ye liken God? Uh, and then he goes on and says how that people make a graven image and a goldsmith, he tries his thing and another guy gets a tree out of the woods and tries his thing. But it's just nothing. You just can't get close. Verse 21, have you not heard? Have you not known? Have you not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he. God that sitteth upon the circle of the earth and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. It's God that does those things that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Again, putting it in perspective. um, Sometimes this world looks big. And its problems look big. And its violence looks big. And it's uh, a lot of things. And they look big. But that's in the present. In the perspective of the present. That's not in this perspective of the eternal. When you put it in perspective with God, it changes the picture a bit. He says he brings princes to nothing. That's talking about the rulers, the kings. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their root, their stock shall not take root in the earth. And he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. Talking about the best of humanity, the you know, in the sense of of uh, their successes and their greatness in human eyes and so on. To whom then will ye liken me? Or how shall ye... Uh, how shall I... To whom then will ye liken me? Or how, or shall I be equal? Saith the Holy One. Uh, <clears throat> Lift up your eyes on high and behold who hath created these things that bringeth out their hosts by number that calleth them all by names by the greatness of his might for that he for that he is strong in power and not one faileth why sayest thou o jacob and speakest o israel my way is hid from the lord and my judgment is passed over from my god i'd like to just stop there for a moment we can look at that verse several ways uh you know, God is, is talking about his greatness and he has made everything and he sits on the circle of the earth and, and stretches out the heavens as a, as a canopy. Uh, and then he says, why are you saying my way is hid from the Lord? Now, we can look at that from the perspective of a person can say, well, I can do evil and God don't see me. But you can also look at it from a perspective of in the present, you're, stru- you're uh, facing difficulties, you're facing hard times. And you might be tempted to think your way is hid from God. God isn't seeing. God isn't caring for me. God has turned his back on me. And I'm in this tough time. Where is God? Your way is not hid from God. He sees. 
He sees everything. He knows. He knows all about it. Hast thou not known, verse 28, Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord of the the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. That's why we struggle to communicate the greatness of God. There is no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. <clears throat> so the, uh, the, the context that we have here are, you know, uh, God is, He sees us. He, he's, he's, He gives power to the faint. He gives, uh, uh, to those that have no might, He increases strength. Uh, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. You know, it's it's not like um, this scripture doesn't uh, say that God will remove all your problems, that he'll remove all your difficulties, that he'll remove make life easy for you. It says he will give you strength. He will, uh, when when the going is tough and the going gets hard and it's difficult, he'll be there to strengthen you uh, as, as we wait upon him. So God is, uh, and then just uh, uh, going back to that verse that we we uh, overlooked there in verse 11, says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. That verse, again, shows the, the care, as some of these other verses have, the care that God has for those who love him who follow him, who obey him, who walk with him. He cares for them as a shepherd. He feeds them uh, as a shepherd. uh, He sees that they're fed as a shepherd feeds his flock. He carries the young ones. He leads the mothers. Uh, Just a beautiful scripture of God's care for us, for his people, for those who uh, know him, who profess Faith in him who walk with him. The care of a shepherd. Uh, probably the the closest thing that, since we're not a bunch of shepherds uh, and out there uh, leading our sheep around to pass, uh, find pastures and so forth, uh, we can think of a father who cares for his family, who watches over his family, who nurtures his family, who guides his family. That's what God does for his own. The Lord cares for us, even regardless of what comes our way, difficulties and struggles that we may face. Looking at a scripture in Romans here. Romans 8.32 He that spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Uh, 
again, just a scripture that uh, speaks about God and his care for us. You know, if he if he didn't spare his own son in the suffering and the uh, uh, what he went through to to purchase our salvation, will he stop there? Will he not also then give us all that we need? Uh, is basically what that scripture is saying. Will he not be there for us and and uh, help us and strengthen us and enable us? So again, I, I'd like to um, I'd like to encourage us with the ver- ver- one of the verses that we started at in the beginning, Romans eighteen eight. Romans 8.18, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. Uh, the present in perspective of the eternal. Uh, it's important uh, as we go through life to always uh, to try to, I say always, to try to, to endeavor to view, to uh, yeah, weigh in on the present in perspective of the eternal. Uh, the present can be overwhelming at times, and if we're if we're not careful, we will only respond in the present uh, from a present perspective, as opposed to responding to life from an eternal perspective, and they're very different. And so, I'd like to encourage us with that uh, in these various points that we looked at and. There could probably be others um, to to weigh in on life uh, and its uh, its challenges. It's even its blessings. You know, uh, a good life has destroyed many a person because they weighed in on the present, and life was good, and uh, failed to recognize the outcome of a careless life. Uh, because they didn't weigh in on the eternal perspective of it all. So may God help us in that as we go through life to realize that the, the, uh, the present is a very small window. And uh, whether it's, you know, regardless of whether it's blessings or difficulties, hardships or prosperity, either one. The, the present is a very small window. And if we respond to life only from a present perspective, it probably won't come out the, the best. But if we can, in, in the present, maintain a, the eternal perspective and endeavor to weigh, in, uh, weigh the present in the light of the eternal, and uh, could make a difference for us. All right, I will conclude with that. May God bless you as you uh, endeavor to maintain that perspective. Perhaps we could just close with prayer. Heavenly Father, again, thank you. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for each one present. Again, lead us on, Father. We're all on the journey. We're not home yet. We have... uh, Life is before us, and we ask, Lord, that you would grant us the grace, wisdom, the understanding to process life and the present in the perspective of the eternal. So again, Father, bless us to that end. Uh, 
Thank you for this day and for this service and for all who have participated. And we ask a blessing on each one in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.